We are live here this morning at the Story Building for our 27th consecutive Sunday of online-only worship. I'm Pastor Eric. I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to have you wherever you're tuning in from, whether it's you know Reno, Nevada, or uh, California, or Maryland. We got people from all over the country, and of course, many here in Houston and throughout the state of Texas. We're so glad that you're here. It has been 189 days since we were last all together in this room. Uh, the last thing that happened in this room all together was the Lee Strobel event, which was like seven and a half years ago in my mind, <laughs> uh, but just 189 days in reality. So uh, I cannot wait until we're back together in person in this room. And I think it is coming soon. I think we are weeks, not months away. So y'all stay tuned, keep praying, and I think we'll have some good news very, very soon. I'm so excited about that. Listen, even as we've done online-only worship, as September rolls around, we're still launching all of our ministries like we would any other year. So we are all systems go here at The Story, and I am so excited about all the things that are starting up. We just started our Galatians Bible study, church-wide Bible study on Wednesday nights. It's live-streamed just like worship is. You can tune in that way. And then you can connect to a group where you'll go deeper into the teaching that we offer on Wednesday nights. So if you don't have a group yet, y'all, it's time. It's past time. There's still a little bit of time. We're not judging you yet, but we're close, okay? So go to the story.church slash groups to find yourself a group to connect to and to learn more about the book of Galatians this fall. Um, also, another ministry I'm super personally invested in and excited about is called Leading Men. It's happening every other Tuesday morning, starting this Tuesday morning, two days from now, guys, men in our congregation and throughout the city. Y'all are all invited to come and grow with us as we meet for breakfast. We'll have tacos or bacon or bacon tacos or taco bacon. I don't know. We'll, we'll have enough to get you out of bed in the morning. We'll have coffee to drink. And we're going to gather in this space or online. It's either or. You can pick or choose. But you have to pre-register to have these conversations with us. We need to know what kind of food needs we'll have and what kind of uh, social distance seating chart we need to come up with. So visit thestory.church slash leading men. To register for that, guys, uh, I'll, I'll be delivering the first uh, teaching in that series uh, for that ministry this Tuesday morning, all right? So we're here to talk about a really important subject as this series continues. This is part four of a six-part series called In the Image of God, Standing Up for Every Human Life. And if you've been joining us for this series so far, you know we spent two weeks in August setting the table by just talking about what it is we're, we're here to discuss, which isn't a, just a bunch of political hot-button issues. We're here to discuss one of the most fundamental um, issues of the Christian faith, which is this idea that every human life bears the mark of God, bears the image of God, and therefore every human life is intrinsically and equally worthy. And now we're applying that teaching to some issues of our day. And so last Sunday we talked about abortion. Next Sunday we're going to talk about immigration. The week after that, we'll talk about gender. And as I said from the start, somebody, you're going to be upset by one of these sermons. <laughs> so just prepare yourself for that and just know we're not setting out to offend. We're setting out to challenge all of us because this standard God set of seeing the image of God in every person is something that's going to, it's going to find a weak spot or a blind spot in all of us, all right? So today we're going to continue having this conversation, um, but about racism, and this is every bit as tough as talking about any of these other issues, and, but it's a conversation that is so, so important 
for us to have. And like last week, I am so glad I'm not here to have it by myself. I'm, I'm glad that you'll have two people to send your angry emails to and not just one. <laughs> so my best friend and partner in crime, Pastor Giovanna, is here with me to help me unpack the problem of racism through the lens of the gospel of Jesus. Giovanna, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I'm so glad to be here. I couldn't let you tackle such a tough subject on your own. <laughs> I think you. that in some ways, it's even easier to talk about abortion than it is to talk about racism wow. because the concept of race isn't as clear. Mm. I think that a race as we know it today wasn't a concept that um, came about until the 19th century. Yeah. Before then, I think people were categorized, but they were not categorized by the color of their skin. Instead, they were categorized by their nationality, by their citizenship, and even by their religion. But I think that starting in around the 18th and 19th century, two different things happened that precipitated uh, the invention of race. And the first one was that there was a heated uh, debate within the scientific, co scientific community. People were debating as to whether we have the same ancestry. Mm. And some scientists became convinced that I think white people came from, uh, evolved from a higher ape and everybody else evolved from a lower ape. I know. <laughs> Not my words. <laughs> right. So, so, and you said there were two. So what was the second? The second one uh, came, up, came about, I think, with a transatlantic slave trading. Uh, I think it was probably a lot easier for uh, traders to justify their actions in buying and selling millions of human beings by assuming that some people were subhuman and that some people, uh, you know, were not as worthy as they were. Right. I think they came with this idea that there were white people and then everybody else under them. Yeah. So that would make it easier to, I guess, uh, justify mm -hmm. the slave trade. Right. Um, but just the words, like you said, the invention of race, yeah. <laughs> is, is, uh, it's a hard thing to wrap our heads around, but I think it's fundamentally true, and it's very important that right. we set that out first, that race as a concept was invented by the world for not the best purposes, and uh, it's relatively new to our human experience. And so I think that's very important, and I think it's also important to acknowledge that we haven't been liberated from that toxic mentality either. It's, it's baked in to the human story. It's baked into our national story, um, this uh, racial division you know, that we have in, a, in, our, in our lives today. I, I still can't get over the fact, as I look back in, in admiration at our founding fathers who founded this nation, the United States of America, on the principle that all men are created equal and endowed with these certain inalienable rights by their creator uh, and the principle of liberty and justice for all by, you know, some of the same people who were at the time owning and, and buying and selling mm -hmm. other people. And that kind of paradox blows my mind. And, and you really have to sit with it to, to understand it and, and without excusing it. You know, we have to say, how, does, how do otherwise dignified men, otherwise, you know, incredible men who wrote words like those in the Declaration of Independence also own people? And you can only get there if you buy into this secular lie right. that, that the races are different and can be valued differently and, and that we're not all the same uh, in, in some way. And so I know that uh, that's a difficult subject for some of us to grasp or accept. And some people today will say, you know, that was then. 
That was so long ago. People just, they didn't know better back then. And, and we've grown past that today. And I just want to offer just a word of caution to not accept that as necessarily true without further analysis, because it's not necessarily the case that we've moved beyond that way of thinking. I think it's still with us in ways we might not even see, but it's good for us to acknowledge. It wasn't that long ago, for instance, that one-drop laws were the law of the land in many states throughout the country. This was decades, not centuries ago, when if you were 99% white and 1% black, you were black. But if you were 99% black and 1% white, you couldn't be white. And so this mentality in our psyche that, that, that whiteness can be sullied by, uh, by, by color and that um, people of color you know, can't be sullied by whiteness in the same way. It's just, it's so insidious and it's so, as we said, new to the human experience that I, I think it's important for us to call that idea into question. And that, that's still with us. And if you want proof, just look at our last president, the first black president of the United States of America. Barack Obama is every bit as white as he is black. His mom was white, his dad was black. But we call him black 100% of the time. I've never heard anyone refer to Barack Obama as a white man. But that would be just as true as the fact that he's a black man, genetically speaking. So why do we do that? And some might say, well, it's just because he identifies as a black man. Well, hypothetically, what would happen if Barack Obama came out tomorrow in a press conference and said, guys, I'm white? The whole world would lose its collective mind. <laughs> For different reasons, liberals and conservatives would lose their minds. And social media alone would be enough to just bring down the whole internet. I'm convinced. Like, it would, it would just be bananas. And that is because this idea is so baked into our minds that someone who is like Barack Obama can be black but can't be white. Someone with his hair and his complexion can't be white. And the only reason for talking about any of this is not, we're not here to add shame or guilt or anything like that. That's not it at all. It's just to identify how race is a modern construct that we can question. And it was born out of some, some unsavory motivations. It was born out of pride and prejudice. It was born out of power. And so race is not the lens through which we should be looking at each other. Theologically, biblically speaking, it's actually sinful to look at each other through the lens of race first. And in one of the best sermons I've ever heard on this subject, Dr. Vodi Balkum talks about the divisions that existed between Jews and Gentiles in the early church. And he talked about how those divisions were so deep-seated that they seemed insurmountable. And those divisions in the first church presented a far greater challenge to reconciliation than our racial divisions do Today, but God still brought people together across that divide. Before we hear from Dr. Bottom, we're going to show you a clip. Bottom, um, we're going to show you a clip. Here's the passage that he's going to be talking about. I just wanted you to, to be aware. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10 through 18 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. He's talking about Old Testament covenants that were just for the Jewish people. Okay? And so then he says, um, without hope and without God in the world, but now 
But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Here's Dr. Vody Bauckham talking more about this. Race is arbitrary. Racial classifications are not real classifications. There is but one race. There's virtually no genetic difference between us. By the way, if we were not of the same race, we couldn't reproduce with one another. There is one race. We have the same original parents. Amen? Amen. We're a multiple ethnicities, but one race. And the racial distinctions between us are arbitrary distinctions based on certain features that we have, but not based on real differences. They are arbitrary. And sometimes we see these when the Hutus and the Tutsis experience genocide in Rwanda. People look at that and when we go, well, I, I don't get that. These people look the same to me. Do you realize that the genetic difference between the Hutus and the Tutsis is small, but the genetic difference between white people and black people is almost as small. But the difference between Jew and Gentile was established by God himself and was not arbitrary, but real. Do <laughs> you know what that means? If God can reconcile those who have real and God-ordained distinctions between them, he can certainly reconcile people who have arbitrary and artificial differences and distinctions between them. That is so powerful, and that whole sermon is powerful. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, it gives me so much hope to think that it, uh, we, if we as sinners can be reconciled to God, to a God who is perfect, we should be able to be reconciled to one another, right? Yes, amen. I, I pray that's the case, then one day we'll see that. But I'm also curious, uh, as we listen to that sermon, I'm curious to know how it lands with people, specifically with people of color, um, so how does that land with you as a Hispanic woman um, to hear someone in a pulpit suggest that racial divisions 
are arbitrary? I mean, does it does it worry you at all, for example, that someone could take Vody's words and use them to excuse uh, racism or to dismiss racism or not to listen to the stories that people of color are telling about what it's like? Does that does that worry you at all? No, not really, uh, because I didn't hear him say uh, that racism isn't real. Uh, I think that what he said is that the the concept of race itself is arbitrary, wow. right? In other parts of the sermon, he does talk about how the experience of being uh, black in America is different to the experience of being white in America. Right, he does. Uh, he's also not dismissing the fact that there is an issue, but he's trying to explain to us why, why things are happening. What he's saying is that the problem of racism is not happening because uh, all white people are these horrible people and because people of all other race, other colors are, uh, you know, victims. Yeah. He's saying that uh, racism is happening because uh, race itself is arbitrary. Race itself is artificial, wow. right? Yeah. Well, what we need to understand as Christians, the truth is that we do not have a separate ancestry. We are not different species. We are not brown, black, white. We are one human race created by one God. We are descendants of Adam and Eve. We're brothers and sisters. And to look at anybody in a different way, it's denying the creator himself. Wow. It's denying the image of God in others. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the rest of that passage from Ephesians chapter 2 says, uh, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, uh, but your fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household uh, built on the one foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as our chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. So powerful. Um, this whole conversation really begs the question, I think, if this is true, that Jesus has not only reconciled sinners to God, but that Jesus has, by his blood, reconciled us to one another, then why are we having this conversation? Why are we still at odds and divided along racial lines? If we're reconciled, then what is this all about? Um, you know, uh, it, why is racism even still a thing, not just in the world, but in the church? And in a recent episode of the Maybe God podcast, I had the real privilege of sitting down with a, a man who is a New Testament professor at Wheaton College, and he's also written books, and he's written articles in the New York Times and other publications. Um, his name is Dr. Esau McCauley. And I asked Dr. McCauley to, to help me understand a little bit more what it's like to be a black man and a black Christian in America and in the church. And he he really opened my eyes in this part of the conversation you're going to see in here now because he said it's, it's really no surprise to him to experience racism in the world. The world has fallen. The world is sinful. People are ambitious, whatever. Like, no surprise out there. But where it really hurts is in the church. Where it really hurts to be on the receiving end of racism is uh, from another brother or sister in Christ, to be ignored or denied or just um, not given the benefit of the doubt um, from his fellow brothers and sisters as a, a black man um, in America. And, and I think what he's just seeking there is 
sympathy. We wanted to let you uh, see this clip uh, from the Maybe God podcast episode. The, the recent episode I'm referring to is called Is God Colorblind? You can find it on Maybe God's website or, or wherever you find podcasts. This is Dr. Esau McCauley. This is in the Psalms. Dope. Had it been someone else, I could have understood it. But it was you, my own familiar friend. We took sweet counsel together as he walked into the household of God. And so, like, David is saying, yes, like, I'm, I'm hurt by this, right? I'm hurt by this, but I'm still going to keep going to the house of God. Yeah. So I feel like I'm emotionally at a distance from that section of evangelicalism. And what I would say to the people who are still there, like, come home. Like, yeah. stop sinning. Right. And come home with yeah, stop cheating. Stop cheating. We can be reconciled. We we believe the Bible over here. Yeah. We believe the Bible. We believe in personal salvation, the atoning work of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the salvation, the living of the dead, the Nicene Creed, the Apostle Creed. We believe all of it. And the lie is if you come over here and care about this stuff, you're gonna stop believing those things. And the counter testimony is literally 400 years of black Christian orthodoxy that fought against oppression. Yeah. It's impossible to say the two things at the same time. The Bible is true, I'm fighting injustice. You could also say, because the Bible is true, I'm fighting injustice. Of course. Many of the principles about justice we're looking for, we don't, I don't need Karl Marx when I got Moses. Exactly. And so that's what I would say. And I, would, and, and I, I don't want to say that African-American Christians, when they look, there's a reason. Why did they edit the slave Bible? Why did they mm-hmm. edit the slave Bible? Right? I think I was reading a story. They said something like 60% of the Bible was taken out before they gave it to the slaves. When you take out 60%, that isn't just a, a couple of Pauline passages. Yeah. It's because they, they kept seeing all over this book. If the, if, the, if the Africans get a hold to this thing, this is powerful. That's right. So we got to edit it. 60% of it. Wow. Wow, that's just powerful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you read the entire Bible, it is undeniable that God's will for us is for every human being to have freedom. And it's another reminder also for us that even though we have been reconciled to God, we still have a lot of work to do to reconcile to one another. As Christians, we can't really overlook the experiences that our brothers and sisters are having with racism, right? Exactly. Um, You know, since that episode came out, I've had several conversations with people who are friends, uh, but who had some, some real reservations about that conversation and even having that conversation in the church. um, Because, to them, I mean, what I heard was uh, some version of, you know, that's in our past. For sure, America was systemically racist, but we've got so much going in the right direction now. And just continuing to, to talk about that um, and tell those stories is just to add fuel to the fire and make things worse. And, and let's, let's cast a more hopeful story and, and a more hopeful vision. And, and I understand all of that. And I think people who want to just move on from that conversation are not bad people. And folks to my left sometimes want to demonize folks who want to just move on from the race conversation. Listen, I know these people and their hearts were in the right place. And the, the, the frustration there is born out of not knowing where the fix is, where the solution is. We want to fix this thing. We want it to be made right. 
We don't want to carry around this this burden or this shame anymore. We want to fix it so we can move on. But what are we supposed to do, you know? And the laws seem better than they were, and, and black and brown Americans seem like they have more opportunities than ever before, and we've had a black president now. Like, like at what point can we say we fixed it? At what point can we celebrate? You know, what else do we have to do is what I'm hearing, right? How many black squares on Instagram do we need to post? How many Black Lives Matter signs do we need to have in our yards? Do we need to vote different? Do we need to vote Democrat instead of Republican or Republican instead of Democrat? The frustration is born out of the fact that none of this world's secular solutions have even made a dent in the rift caused by racism. And we feel helpless. And I know that feeling. I know that feeling very well because it's natural to feel helpless when in the face of a sin like racism because the only way to talk about an evil as deep as racism is with theological, biblical terms, not with sociological ones. You have to use words like evil and sin to describe what happened in the human story with racism. You have to use words like evil and sin. And then you have to use words like grace because grace is the only solution for evil and sin. And what grace in the world is sufficient to cover the deep evil and sin of racism but the blood of Jesus poured out on the cross for all of us, not some of us, not a select few of us, not one race of us, but every single one of us. And that's why it's frustrating to look at this from a secular perspective. And some of y'all have been discipled too much by your secular sources. And Gio and I, we've got you for one hour on a Sunday morning, but Hannity and Maddow have you seven days a week. And so watch it. Be careful who you're allowing to speak into your life about this. Be careful how that you're allowing them to harden your heart about this because this is so important, it's too important to miss. The only narrative that will truly liberate us and heal us is the only one that is true. That we are one race of people, the human race created in the image of the one God who is the one true God descended from one family tree. And this has enormous implications, obviously, but two of the implications are these. First, what this means is that the people who bought, sold, and owned slaves in American history didn't do it because they're white. They did it because they're sinners. And sinners of any hue, given the opportunity to subjugate others while making a profit, would be equally tempted to succumb to that sin because we're all human. One race, one family tree, we face the same struggles. We would all be equally tempted under those circumstances. The second implication is that those who even today are struggling and suffering and trying to catch up all the time are struggling and suffering and trying to catch up not because of the color of their skin, They're struggling and suffering and trying to catch up because racism isn't just a past problem. Racism continues to be a present one. And they struggle and suffer and try to catch up. Not because their their pigmentation is such, but because they're human beings. And any human beings, any group of human beings facing the same kind of circumstances, any group of human beings, if your great-great-great-grandma was 
was uh, trafficked across the ocean and then beaten into submission and then raped or forced to work without dignity, without pay for generations. And then if you or your people were subjected to things like the Jim Crow laws and the one drop laws and other degrading laws that have, that have degraded the humanity of a people, look, you don't just move on from a story like that. We can't just expect people to just sweep it under the rug and be happy like the rest of us. No, we must be patient and kind. We must be good listeners, sympathetic, with soft hearts. People don't just move on from that kind of pain. That kind of pain leaves a deep emotional and psychological scar that has to be dealt with. And the only way to deal with it is love and listening and understanding. So if, I'm serious right now, if you find this conversation off-putting, I just want to share before we close, just you and, you and me. If this conversation is a struggle for you, if it's uncomfortable, first of all, know that it should be uncomfortable and that's all right, but, but you, you can sit here and disagree with some of what you hear in this conversation, especially the secular conversation going on. I'm not even having that conversation. Gio and I are not having that conversation. You can listen to us and still say rioting and looting is wrong because it is, and I agree with you. You can listen to us and still say we should support the police. We should. I agree with you. You don't have to listen to Antifa as they burn down the city of Portland. You do have to listen to your sisters and your brothers in Christ who might look different than you, who might have a different experience than you. You do have to listen and sympathize with the stories they're telling you without whataboutisms, without statistics. Just listen and give your brother the benefit of the doubt. At a minimum, understand that if you had to walk a mile in his shoes or a mile in her shoes, you'd feel a little different about this. And let that be the beginning of their healing and yours. Because love and listening is where it begins. When we love and we listen, we, we treat each other like we really are created in the image of God, full of implicit and equal worth. Not because of who we are or how we look or what we've done, but because of the one who made us in his image. All of us, listening and love, so important. Yes, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, I Very recently, we sat down for an interview with people, um, Black Christians who called the story Houston home for the Maybe God podcast. It was a powerful session. Uh, we listened, we laughed, we cried. <laughs> we did. Um, but I think the biggest lesson that I learned from that was that uh, we have a lot of work to do right? And that we are just at the beginning of this fight against racism and that we have to be in the front lines of this fight. Mm -hmm. I hope that uh, you will pay attention to what our brothers and sisters said. Uh, we have a clip here for you. Please listen to, those, to their words. Why don't we back up a little and talk about what happened in this country over the last few months and, and just tell me what it was like. I know what it was like from my perspective. What was it like from your perspectives? You know, it's just kind of like, oh, it happened again. Yeah. Yep. Where I began to, I have hope, really, was after George Floyd, when I had friends contacting me who had never said anything before. And usually they would ask first, are you okay? And I would have to hold back the chuckle, like, what do you think I'm not okay with? Because... Mm. 
I've been black in America for 42 years now. But the real question for them was, are you okay? Because suddenly they were starting to see these things that I've grown up with because we're a country still struggling with true integration and actually recognizing every American as being fully human. I often feel like it's kind of the birth pains of something new, of something different. I would certainly prefer there was less violence and less death, but... In the protests, you mean? uh, Yes, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. but I also do understand that as people begin to push back against what they feel is unfair, there are going to be powerful people to try to hold their personal line or the standard that they think is okay. I think that we've made some great progress in this year through a lot of this pain, but that we still have a long way to go. If there were some magical way that I could kind of make it all disappear, I think that it would be to sprinkle a potion over people where they can see the image of God in their fellow man. If we could all see the image of God in the person sitting next to us, I think everything shifts and changes. Yeah. I couldn't have said it any better. Would you join me in prayer? Father, Father of us all, if our hearts aren't soft, soften them. If they're not broken, break them. Break them wide open and and heal us from within. Lord, we confess that we've allowed our hearts to be hardened by the world and the lies this world tells us. Forgive us, Father, and free us once again to see your image in each and every person, in each and every soul. Lord, sometimes people make it hard for us to be slow to anger, for us to be compassionate. Sometimes we just disagree on such a deep level, Lord. Help us to see and remember that you once disagreed on such a deep level with us because we once went astray and you responded by taking the cross on our behalf to restore in us the image in which we were created, our true identity, which is you and not what this world says we are. So as you forgive us, Father, set us free to be the church, to be the Christians, the human beings you created us to be. We thank you for this reminder. We pray today in Jesus' name, amen.